Hey, hey, and welcome to episode 139 here on the Yours Truly podcast. My name is Claire Tuning. Yes, that is my real last name. It is not a fake one. It is not made up. Although you would be surprised at the number of times I get asked that question, you know, is that your real last name or did that influence you to become a dietitian? Uh, yes, it is real. No, it did not influence me, but it is appropriate, I would say. But anyways, I'm Claire. I am your host here on the show. I am also a non-diet registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. If you are familiar with my spiel, I usually say that I'm a food pun enthusiast and lover of all things peanut butter and jelly, and that has not changed since the last time I recorded. So whether this is your first time or your 139th time, tuning into the show. I am so grateful that you're here and it's just going to be you and I today. I hope that is cool with you. We've been on a roll with some really incredible guests. So today it's just going to be you and I sitting down answering some questions that I have gotten from an Instagram question box that I put up a couple of days ago. I really enjoy getting to do these Q&A episodes because I get a fair amount of DMs and comments and I'm not always able to address those questions as thoroughly in like other social media platforms as I am able to hear on the podcast. That's one of the great things about podcasting is it is typically longer form content so I can elaborate a little bit more, we can get to know each other, I can slide in some of my cringy jokes, hope you don't mind, but uh, we're going to go ahead and, and dive right in. This would typically be the point in the intro of the show when I would feature a Yours Truly Goal Slayer post of the week. This is a free private Facebook community that I run, and I love to just read posts or entries from it to help you get a sense of what the group is there for, what we talk about, uh, to help you maybe feel a little bit less alone in some of the questions or the struggles that you have. But today, since I am already going to be talking for a decent amount of time on my own, we're going to skip over that segment of the podcast. But I will tell you, if you are looking for community, if you are looking for support from other individuals who are learning about intuitive eating, stepping away from dieting, our community is a really awesome, safe spot on the internet. I know a lot of social platforms don't feel so safe and welcoming, especially if you're trying to get away from dieting message. So we really pride ourselves on being a warm, welcoming, and again, safe corner of the internet. So if you want to join us to ask questions, to tune into live video trainings, to just gather support from like-minded individuals, then we would love, love, love to have you. The community is free. It is open to join, but I do require you to fill out a brief application before coming in to hang out with us, just so you can understand a little bit more about the community. So you're aware of our guidelines and how we work to keep it a really uplifting spot on the internet. So if you want to find that application, you can do so through my website, clairetuning.com slash community. And there you will find the application, read it over, submit it. Shouldn't take you more than a couple of moments. And then my team and I will read it over and get back to you as soon as possible to welcome you in. But without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into these questions. So I think I have, let me see here. 
I think I have about five of these. Typically um, in these Q&A episodes, five is about the number that I can get through without completely running out of breath or getting dry mouth and just talking into my microphone alone. So we're just going to start and see what we get into. Again, all of these were submitted by some of you maybe listening here today via Instagram. So if you're not already following following me on the gram, be sure to do so at Claire Tuning. And if I don't get to your question here today, just keep submitting them for, for future Q&A episodes. But the first question reads... How do I really tune into fullness cues? It really sneaks up on me and I'm too full before I realize. Let me pause. Pause before I get into this answer because I'm realizing as I go with little to no notes into this episode, that's typically how I I fly when it comes to recording, but I forgot to offer my disclaimer that I offer for every episode of the podcast, but specifically these Q&A episodes that I'm really doing this for... The purpose of educating, for sharing information, for hopefully making some information on intuitive eating more accessible, making some of it free, but this episode nor any of the other episodes that I share here are intended to be a substitute for individualized mental, medical, nutritional health advice. So I'm going to stay kind of general in my answers here, but hopefully you can pick and choose some helpful tidbits of information. But again, just know not meant to be individualized advice or a substitute for it. So let me rewind and reread that question. How do I really tune into fullness cues? It really sneaks up on me and I'm too full before I realize it. So like with any new skill, getting to learn your body's cues around food takes time, especially if a lot of your dieting efforts up until this point have been training you to disconnect from your body and to distrust its cues. So the practice of of tuning into both your hunger and your fullness cues is a practice of what we call interceptive awareness here in the intuitive eating space. And I know that's a, a big cumbersome word, like interceptive awareness, what the heck does that even mean? Pretty much, it is a fancy way of saying your ability to tune into a certain signal or a cue or a sensation within your body and take an action as a result of it. So if this concept feels really foreign to you, if the concept of feeling what's going on in your body, tuning into these signals, if this feels really strange, you might find it useful to reflect on some of the ways that you are already confident in connecting to your body and listening to its signals. The best example that I have to offer here is noticing when you have to go to the bathroom or when you have to pee. I love asking my clients the question, you know, hey, how do you know when you have to go to the bathroom? (laughs) Typically, I'll get kind of like a, a weird look from people when I ask them that. They're like, why is my dietitian asking me about how do I know when I have to pee? Like, where is she going with this? Any of my clients who are listening might be laughing because I've asked you this before. But your answer to that question might be something along the lines of, well, I feel it in my bladder. It is a familiar feeling. It's a sensation that I can connect to. It sends a signal to my brain and I know that I need to get up and go to the bathroom. So why I bring this up is hopefully to offer 
a little bit of reassurance around the fact that if you are already connecting to your body in this way, if you have that tuned sense of interceptive awareness, then you also have the ability to connect on other fronts. Now, of course, we can't compare one for one uh, the signal to pee with hunger and fullness signals because, you know, oftentimes when it comes to going to the bathroom, hopefully we don't have anyone in our life saying, you know, are you sure you have to go? Or you just went to the bathroom, you can't have to go again, right? No one really questions us listening to our body signals around that, but that's not often the case when it comes to trusting our signals around food. You know, one of the reasons why we can become disconnected from our body's hunger and fullness signals is because we have so much tied up in honoring those signals or we've been taught over the years that those signals aren't to be trusted or there's no way you could be hungry again or I've eaten quote unquote too much today. So it makes a lot of sense why picking up on our hunger and fullness signals and trusting those signals tends to be more challenging than trusting that cue of I need to go to the bathroom. But again, I offer this hopefully as reassurance to say, hey, if you are able to feel one, sensation in your body related to peeing, for example, then we can also learn how to reconnect to other signals and sensations our body is sending us. It's just going to take more time and, and patience and compassion, like I was saying earlier. So getting back a little bit more specifically to the fullness cue question here. One practice that you may find helpful around getting to know your fullness cues is slowing down a little bit around eating and tuning into how different parts of your body feel and getting curious really about any feelings or sensations that are coming up that might be indicative of what we call a pleasant level of fullness. Um, Anyone who's ever worked with me one-on-one, who's taken my online course, who's even read the intuitive eating book, you'll know that we oftentimes refer to something called the hunger awareness scale. It's a scale of one one to 10, one being unpleasant hunger, some people call it hanger, 10 being unpleasant fullness. Typically, a lot of people will have some level of connection to the extreme ends of these scales because we don't like those feelings, they are unpleasant, but um, what can be really interesting to explore is the middle ground of this scale, or more so the realms of pleasant hunger and pleasant fullness. So Again, getting curious as to how our body might be signaling to us, I am approaching that level of pleasant fullness. So a couple of things here. My brain is going a million different ways because there are so many layers to this conversation, but it is important to note that when I'm encouraging you to slow down at times when you're eating to check in with your body, I am not saying that you should slow down for the purpose of stopping that eating experience. Rather, I'm inviting you to slow down for the purpose of checking in with yourself and asking, how am I feeling? How am I feeling in my stomach? You know, what does my mouth feel like? What am I thinking about? Am I still focusing on the food? Am I getting distracted with other things that I have to do later in the day? Notice here that all of the things that I just said, I was asking questions. How do I feel here? What am I thinking about? How is the food tasting? I wasn't saying, 
oh, I need to slow down so I stop eating, right? I always want to reassure my clients that checking in is a practice of cultivating that sense of interceptive awareness. Checking in is not a commitment to stop eating. Where sometimes intuitive eating can get a little bit diety, we call it like the hunger and the fullness diet, right? Is if we head into an eating experience thinking I quote unquote should stop at this point. So if I'm checking in, I should be done. I shouldn't eat anymore. And that is where we get into a slippery slope of making it that hunger and the fullness diet. And we really wanna stay away from that. So again, checking in is not a commitment to stop eating. If you check in and you decide to continue, that's amazing. Keep going, please honor your body's needs. But checking in here is really just a commitment to get curious about how your body is feeling and how your body is communicating with you, not to stop. So when I'm working with clients, both one-on-one and in my online course, like I referenced earlier, I take them through a body scanning activity to help them become more familiar with what these feelings of both pleasant hunger and fullness feel like in the body. And for the sake of brevity here in this conversation and not letting this question just consume the entire episode, I'm not going to get too far into details with that tool because I also like to be able to individualize that tool to the person who I'm speaking with. But in general, we're just trying to get curious about the sensations in three parts of our body. So in the stomach, in the mouth and in your mind. So some of these questions just very generally here might sound like, what am I feeling in my stomach? Does it feel empty? Is it still growling? Is it feeling kind of neutral? Am I feeling full, but not uncomfortable? So, you know, we're checking in with the stomach. When it goes uh, to the mouth, how is the food tasting? Is the food still as exciting as it was when you first started eating it, what flavors, what textures are we noticing or taking in? And then in the mind, what are you thinking about? Are we still super zoned in on the food? I think I alluded to this a couple of moments ago, but are we starting to get distracted? Are we thinking about things beyond food? If so, that could be an indication that your body is reaching that pleasant fullness level and wants to move on to the next activity. So If you are interested in going deeper on this conversation with both the hunger awareness scale, that one to 10 scale that I mentioned, and also this body scanning tool, I cover it in depth in module five of my intuitive eating discovery course, which is an online course developed by me. It is completely self-paced, so you can go through it quickly. You can take a long time to do it. You can also re-listen to the modules and redo the activities as many times as you'd like, because once you're in the course, you have lifetime access to all the materials and all future updates of it. So if you want more information on the course, you can visit my website. That is clairetuning.com slash course to read all of the information, listen to, you know, all the things that the course will include. And if you happen to decide that you are interested and you want to claim your spot to go deeper on these topics, then I have a gift for you. You can enter the code podcast, 
all one word. Doesn't matter if it's lowercase or uppercase, but podcast at checkout for 10% off of your enrollment investment. And you'll you'll see there on the web page of the course that it's not just about hunger and fullness. The course covers much more, but I, I wanted to add this in here since this question was really highlighting a topic that I spend a lot of time covering there. So one final note on this question about tuning into those fullness cues is it is okay to be full. It's okay to feel full. There are going to be many times, both at the beginning of your intuitive eating journey and even times when you are years and decades into it where you feel unpleasantly full. And that is okay. In those times, I wanna invite you to remember that A, Every eating experience is a learning opportunity. You did nothing wrong. All you did was eat food. And B, or two, can't remember if I started with (laughs) A or one, but secondly, try to remind yourself that any discomfort that you might feel as a result of an eating experience will pass with time. Try to allow yourself as best as you can to sit with that discomfort without inviting judgment or shame to the table because that's not going to help us to feel any better. That's not going to help us to move past that sensation of discomfort. So I hope that answers that question. Hopefully you found it helpful. I rattled on for longer than I thought I would on that question. So let's go ahead and move to our second one. Do you have any tips on vetting a nutritionist in your area, especially in more rural, small towns and cities? Side note, does anybody else have such a problem pronouncing the word rural? I don't know. Maybe it doesn't sound weird when I say it, but I feel weird saying it. It's like too many R's and U's right right there all in the same line. But one thing I will say in response to this question is if you are not already familiar with the Directory of Certified Intuitive Eating Counselors as a tool to search for providers, then please go look it up. It is a great resource, a great tool. If you just pull up whatever internet browser you use and type in Intuitive Eating Counselor Directory, it should be the first link that comes up. But in that resource, directory, tool, thing, whatever we're calling it. You can search by name of provider. You can search by geographic location. If you type in my name, I will be there waving hi at you. But uh, if you're not able to find a provider in your area, I'm guessing that's maybe why this person was asking for tips on vetting someone. If you're unfamiliar with them, um, I have a couple tips before I get there. Know that many of us who pop up on that directory do work virtually. I know not everyone loves working virtually. Some people really value being in person and sitting face to face with someone if that is your choice please do you. And again, I have more tips here in a moment if you're looking for someone local, but it is worth noting that if you're using that directory and no one pops up in your exact geographic location, that you can probably browse their website to see if they offer any virtual services. I actually see all of my clients virtually, so it's uh, really awesome to be able to connect with people from all over. But like I was saying earlier, if you do really prefer to see someone in person, and you were looking to vet them or to make sure that they are not going to contribute any harm 
or any like diety stuff to your relationship with food if you're trying to get away from that i encourage you to do a couple of things so the first thing is check out the person's website the professional's website and start to figure out what kind of language that they're using on their website because some dieting language is going to be obvious right we're talking about blatant weight loss talk or talk about macro tracking meal planning clean eating i think uh, we've all been on those websites before and it's pretty obvious when someone is not going to be the right fit for you if you're not looking for that stuff another more obvious thing to look out for is even like progress photos or the quote-unquote transformation photos if those are scattered everywhere on a website that is a pretty big red flag that that professional's approach their coaching their services is going to be weight focused and if you're not looking for that it's probably best to stay away from uh, anyone who's scattering these photos of bodies progress photos everywhere but um there also might be some more subtle problematic messaging that we also need to be on the lookout for uh specifically anyone who is claiming to offer intuitive eating services they're claiming to you know help people here heal their relationship with food and stop dieting forever i've seen that written before and then they follow up a lot of those statements by talking about weight management or Uh, weight loss or even again they show progress photos of bodies or maybe they use words like eat xyz in moderation or on some days right some of these things where they're maybe halfway there they're straddling the fence as my friend uh, and colleague fiona sutherland would say right they're sitting on the fence of one foot in the intuitive eating camp and one foot really still planted in diet culture so for seeing any of that conflicting confusing messaging that might be your cue to look a little bit deeper to ask that person to clarify or maybe set your sights somewhere else so now that we've talked about what we don't want to see when we're looking at a provider's website maybe we can Also talk about some things that you do want to see or things that we get excited to see on a provider's webpage or on their social media feed. So first and foremost, we're looking for uh, registered dietitians, uh, not nutritionists. I know the person who left me this question phrased it as tips on vetting a nutritionist in your area. In a previous Q&A episode, I go into a lot of detail on the difference between nutritionists and dietitians, but to sum it up in one hopefully not confusing statement, we can say that all registered dietitians are nutritionists, but not all nutritionists are, re- are registered dietitians, meaning registered dietitian is a medically recognized term with a standard of education. We have to complete continuing education credits. We have to do hours and hours of experience in the field before we're even allowed to legally practice whereas nutritionist is an unregulated term that could mean that you're working with a very qualified and knowledgeable individual but it could also mean that you're working with someone who maybe received a certification from a 
one weekend long training online, right? We just never know because it's not regulated. So we really want to look for registered dietitian, uh, certified intuitive eating counselor as well. Like I mentioned, if you're looking in that directory of certified intuitive eating counselors, you're going to be getting people with both of those credentials. You can also find therapists on that link. Sometimes you can even find trainers. So looking for that credential can be really helpful as well. We also want to look for the use of weight inclusive language and even positive client testimonials where maybe that the person's clients are highlighting intuitive eating related wins. Potentially they're saying things along the lines of I feel more confident and at ease around food or I feel like I'm not binging anymore or food isn't controlling me rather than looking for those wins focused on I lost X amount of weight or my body changed in this way. So I think really looking at how a provider's clients describe them and the the work that they've done with that provider, that can be really helpful. Um, And in general, I think we also want to be looking for someone whose content and their messaging and moreover their personality, you feel like you can connect with and feel supported by. Um, Maybe this is just a me thing, but whenever I look for a mentor or a coach, this could be in a, a health sense, it could be in a business sense for me personally, I always try to look for someone who... I feel like I just relate to them and I like their style and their energy and of course they they have the qualifications and they have the knowledge but they also seem like a a human being who I would just want to talk to and and be with if that makes sense. So maybe that's not a you thing, maybe you just care about the credential, but I think for lack of a more scientific term just sussing out someone's vibe <laughs> if you know what I mean. So that's my answer to that question and um Good luck finding a, a dietitian or a nutritionist in your area or finding one virtually. But let's go ahead and move on to question number three. How do you address weight loss talk in casual conversation? For example, in the workplace. I'm currently struggling with this with my friends. I'm going to take a big breath with this one because this is a a big question and it's one that I've been hearing a a lot more recently, especially as we're starting to find ourselves more in social situations than we were this time last year. And on top of that, in those social situations, seeing people who we haven't seen in a while. So I'm confident, hopefully, crossing my fingers and my toes, that if you are listening to this podcast, then you are not someone who is initiating weight-related talk in conversations. But just in case we need a quick reminder, let's let's just not do that. Can we agree that just, just, we're just not going to do that in 2021? But uh, even if weight-related comments, I'm just going to offer this as a, a reminder, but even if these comments are coming from a well-intentioned place, you never know what you might be reinforcing or bringing up for someone when you compliment weight loss or really bring up anything related to weight or body size in general. For example, you could be reinforcing eating disorder behaviors or just disordered eating in general. You could possibly be highlighting 
one of the most stressful time in a, in a person's life. There could be loss, there could be grief involved, there could be a chronic illness playing a role in their body changes. And also by saying something like, you know, you look so good, have you lost weight? What you're communicating there between the lines is that this person wasn't worthy of receiving compliments before their body changed. And it might even leave them wondering, well, what happens if my body does change again? What if I regain some of the weight? What if something happens? Are people not going to like me then? Is that going to be a bad thing? Um, There's likely going to be shame and discomfort involved with that. So in general, just wanted to provide the reminder of why we just want to not do that. I think that's a, a really helpful thing to keep in mind in 99.999% of cases. But back to the question of how to address this talk in casual conversation if you just happen to be present when it is brought up. So there are a couple of things that you can do in which option you choose, I think really depends on your energy levels and how you're feeling in the moment when that conversation is brought up. So first option, if you are checking in with yourself, maybe this can also be a practice of interceptive awareness, right? How am I feeling in this moment? Let me self-connect. If your answer to that question is, I'm on a short fuse today, I have no energy for this, then maybe you want to think about removing yourself from that conversation, if possible, or pivoting to a different subject entirely. I offer those two options here because I realize it maybe isn't always realistic to remove yourself from a conversation, especially if this is happening in a one-on-one environment or you know, the person who asked this question was referring to the work setting. So I can only imagine if this is maybe a superior in your work environment, if this is your boss, I wanna validate that we, <laughs> we might not be able to just be like, ah, F this and walk away if, if it's your boss, right? So if you are not able to fade into the background and to remove yourself from the conversation, then maybe you will pull a Ross Geller, if you will, if you're a Friends fan, and you will pivot to a different subject entirely. If you can't think of one, the weather is always a thing that exists. It's always a thing that you can use for small talk. So you can bring that up. You can bring up something you saw on TV, on the news. Uh, I don't know, literally anything that is off of the subject that you want to get away from. Now, if you check in with yourself and you realize you have a moderate amount of energy to contribute to this conversation, then you you maybe could experiment with making a validating statement. And, and what I mean by this is I don't mean that you have to agree with the person or say, yeah, totally, that's awesome. Like you don't have to, to validate on that front, but all I mean is some sort of statement that communicates to the person talking that you have heard what they said. So for example, let's say that someone brings up quarantine uh, waking. That tends to be a a common topic. So they start talking about, I've gained X, Y, and Z weight, and I need to do something, and I need to go on a diet, dot, dot, dot. A validating statement might sound a little something like this. Like, oof. That sounds really hard. Uh, I too have felt uncomfortable 
in my body sometimes over the course of this pandemic or yeah i've i've felt similarly before right so you're not agreeing on like yeah you should start a diet or you should do this thing or oh my gosh let's do it together but rather you're saying oof like that sounds really tough or that sounds really challenging uh, maybe you can relate maybe you can't but you're just holding space in that moment for that person you're validating and then you can follow it up with the Ross Geller, like I said earlier, with the pivot. If you're not a Friends fan, <laughs> you don't get that reference. And I'm sorry I keep making it, but uh, it's one of my favorite episodes of Friends. So you pivot, you change the conversation. So again, might sound something like, yeah, that sounds really tough. Have you heard of this thing going on? Or let's talk about this topic over here. I love the phrase when it comes to pivoting. I, I love using the phrase, I bet we have so many other things to catch up on because it's been so long since I've seen you. So how is dot, dot, dot? How is your dog? How is your family? How is your pet lizard? <laughs> Whatever they have. I, I just think uh, using that phrase can be really useful because you're reminding them there are so many other important things going on or there are so many more interesting things to me than your body or your weight, etc. So you're just reminding them Let's branch out. Let's talk about something more here. And lastly, if this, this meaning the conversation about weight or weight loss, if this is a recurring issue and you would like to try to set a boundary, and again, this might not match your energy in all settings. This doesn't have to be something that we opt for all the time. But if you're getting the sense that if you don't make a comment, if you don't do something, this is going to be a repeat issue, then you can maybe say something along the lines of, hey, I really don't think this topic of conversation is helpful for anyone involved. So can we try to keep the conversation off of weight or weight-related talk? Again, I know that sounds a little bit more firm, but we have to do that sometimes when it comes to setting these boundaries. So just pointing out, hey, I don't think this is helpful. Can we change the topic? And I think it's important to remind ourselves with boundaries that we can set them and we can reinforce them. And at the same time, it is not our responsibility if people do not choose to honor those boundaries. So this is not going to become a conversation on boundaries. Maybe if you're seeing a therapist or another mental health professional, you can take this conversation to them if it resonates with you. But um, wanted to offer that as an option, especially because uh, these topics tend to be really everywhere, especially as we're, we're re-entering the world. So sometimes I think there's something to be said for being a little bit more firm and reminding people, let's just not do that. I think that's all I have to say on that question. Next one. Do you think that you would view intuitive eating the same or differently if you showed up in the world in a larger body? Slash, I'm going to kind of group two questions in here. Um, but the second one that I want to group in reads, almost all intuitive eating dietitians that I see are super fit and skinny. How do you all eat what you want? Question mark. So every time I open up this space for Q&A, 
I will often receive a couple of questions along these lines and very understandably so. I actually, I really appreciate these questions and I really think they offer a great opportunity to talk about the immense privilege that I and many other dietitians hold in this space as thin, white, cis, hetero, able-bodied women. Like list out all of the privileges there. So a term that you will hear if you have not already heard it, but a a term that you will hear if you choose to hang out for any length of time in the intuitive eating space is this phrase or this term of thin privilege. And this term can sometimes be a little bit of a touchy subject whenever it's, it's brought up, especially on social media. So if hearing this term of thin privilege immediately makes you feel some type of way if it brings up some level of discomfort or defensiveness in you right now. Uh, A, if you can connect to that, hello, interceptive awareness, right? You're feeling that sensation of discomfort, defensiveness, wanting to exit the conversation. If you're feeling that come up, A, great job connecting, but B, I'm going to invite you to just sit with me in this for a couple of moments because a few years ago, actually not that long ago at all, two, three years ago, I had the exact same uncomfortable reaction when I would hear anyone bring up this topic of of privilege in general, but specifically thin privilege in the intuitive eating space. And I feel so grateful to have had multiple individuals and, and friends and colleagues and just followers in general over the years gently call me in to both see and understand the many privileges that I personally hold in this space simply in just how I show up and how I exist naturally in the world. And, you know, when I I think about that last thing that I said, how I show up and how I exist naturally in the world, I think that's what privilege is at the end of the day, right? It is not something that you choose and it is not something that diminishes your personal struggles in life. It is simply something that you have as a result that you have. Let me rephrase this. It is simply something that you have and as a result, there we go, you benefit from based on how our society is set up and how it functions as a whole. So I heard a really interesting quote or a one-liner, if you will, the other day about privilege on TikTok. And I I wish I had this creator's handle. It was a male. That is all I can remember. And TikTok has a really bad like search feature. So I'm going to offer this. It's probably not the exact quote because I'm pulling from my memory, but it really stood out to me when I heard it. But he said something along the lines of privilege isn't always the presence of perks and benefits, but privilege is the absence of obstacles and barriers. And I think that that, at least in part, really nails what we're talking about here when we're talking about this concept of thin privilege. So having thin privilege does not mean that you have never struggled with food or with your body. Uh, It doesn't mean that you love your body or that you even feel thin or that you feel beautiful or that you fit the societal standards of beauty, but rather It simply means that you face fewer obstacles and barriers 
and systems of oppression because you show up in a body that's more socially accepted as beautiful, worthy, healthy, cool, you know, insert adjective here. To go a little bit deeper and to, to offer just some examples on this, and then I promise I will get back to the question, but I feel like, you know, I said at the beginning of this episode, something I love about podcasting is it offers more of a space to explore and explain, and I feel like this is a topic that uh, deserves to be talked about. So to offer a couple more examples of what this is and how it shows up in the world. So thin privilege is, it's the ability to walk into a conventional clothing store and know that you're going to have options to choose from. It's going to the doctor's office and not receiving unsolicited lectures about your weight and eating habits, especially if you're going in for something that has literally nothing to do with your weight and eating habits. It's uh, being able to travel and to exist in public spaces with a relative amount of ease and comfort, right? It's noticing that spaces, public spaces specifically, are built for smaller bodies in how the arms are on chairs and the size of doorways. You know, for example, in um, the doctor's office, like blood pressure cuffs, right? If you live in a smaller body, maybe you've never thought about those things. I know until a couple of years ago, I never even considered how much all of those things were simply built for people who look like me. Uh, You know, I could go on for ages here of of examples of how this shows up, but I think by listing those out, you, you hopefully get the point. So to get back to the question of, do I think I would view intuitive eating differently if I showed up in the world in a larger body? It's... It's hard to say since I cannot speak from the experience of living in a larger body. Uh, probably yes, probably I would. I'm sure I would view a lot of things differently, to be honest, if I showed up in the world differently than I do now. And I- I'm a firm believer that intuitive eating is for every body, quite literally, but we simply cannot deny the fact that those with less body privilege face many more obstacles and barriers in society when it comes to healing from dieting and disordered eating and eating disorders than those of us who live and recover into smaller bodies. I used to be one of those individuals when this um, concept of thin privilege was brought up. Again, I, I shared earlier that I would get defensive or I would feel weird about it and part of me would almost feel like I had to deny that it exists, but now I see that it's like it's not up for debate. It's not a thing that we can argue about it. It simply is. And my my friend and colleague Brie Campos, you may know her from Instagram as is Body Image with Brie. Um, I've been so lucky to learn from her over the years and be in trainings and in cohorts and supervision groups of hers and. A couple of months ago, I was in a training with her and she shared an analogy that really stuck with me on this topic. And Brie, I apologize if I'm going to butcher your analogy here, but hopefully I can get the gist across. By the way, if you want to follow Brie, please do. She's amazing. Uh, At Body Image with Brie. I actually have an episode with her way back in the archives at this point. I think it's uh, in the 80s somewhere, episode 86, 87, somewhere in there, so check it out. But she said... 
headaches and migraines, you know, they both suck. They're both awful, but migraines are a lot more intense than headaches, and we simply have fewer tools to combat them when they come up. Uh, Body image and dieting, similarly, they both suck. Struggles with uh, not feeling comfortable in your body, with yo-yo dieting, with being trapped in that cycle of disordered eating, all of that sucks and all of those struggles are so valid no matter the body that you live in. And those living in larger bodies are afforded far less privilege when it comes to healing and navigating the world, again, in a body that might recover to be larger. So I hope this makes sense. And I know I'm probably not talking about this perfectly, but as someone who holds a lot of these privileges, I do feel that it's really important for me to address these questions when they come up and and try to use my platform to educate on this, to open up conversation, and to address the privileges that I and and other dietitians hold. So my final plug here, speaking of me and other dietitians, I always say when I get these questions, if everyone you follow in the intuitive eating space is someone who looks like me, try to change that if you're up for it. Uh, There's absolutely nothing wrong with following dietitians who look like me. Uh, Many of us, I think, I hope we're working to offer helpful and and positive content, but I think there's also something to be said for learning from people with a variety of lived experiences. That could be in their background, how they were raised, in the body they show up in, etc. So if you are looking to diversify your social feed, to follow more people and more dietitians and, and other just like non-diet healthcare professionals who look different from me, please feel free to check out my other resources highlight reel on my Instagram feed. Um, this is something that I highlight, pun intended there. Um, there are maybe between 20, 30 accounts there to follow some of my favorites, some people who I so appreciate in this space and who I learn a lot from. And I'm confident that if you choose to follow along, you will hopefully learn a lot from them as well. Final question. I'm going to take a breath and <laughs> take a sip of my water because I realize I have been talking for 46 minutes. Holy cow. I swear, guys, sometimes when I hit... When I hit record, I just enter this like space time zone warp and I lose all sense of time. But it's cool. We're going to wrap with one final question. This person writes, on my journey to intuitive eating, when will I start craving carrot and salad emoji? (laughs) That's literally how the question is phrased. It's two emojis, a carrot and a salad, instead of ice cream and cookie emoji. So visualize the question. I, I appreciate this person's use of of emojis. I'm guessing you maybe did that to to fit within the character limit of the question box, but I appreciate the use of emojis. And this is a great question. It's uh, also one that I get really frequently because so many people who come to this work, at least from my experience and working with many clients over the years, they're coming into this work really craving a sense of balance when it comes to their relationships with food. And I I wonder if you listening have ever felt that way. If you've ever wanted to let go of dieting and come to intuitive eating to feel more balanced and at ease around food. If so, you're not alone. I think that's probably one of the most 
common things I hear when I'm connecting with a potential client on a discovery call and we're talking about where they want to go and how they want to feel, usually that B word, that word of balance comes up. My answer to this question of when will I start craving the carrot salad emoji instead of ice cream cookie emoji, my answer has a, a few different parts and a few different layers to it, if you will. So first part is it depends. It depends on how long you've been dieting. It depends on how intense your restrictions have been around some of those fun foods. And it also depends on the level of permission that you are willing to allow yourself in this healing process in order to, to heal from those restrictions. Um, second part of my question, or second part of my answer rather, it's usually around this like 45 to 50 minute mark where my words start to escape me, especially since I have not hit pause <laughs> this entire time, which I am proud of myself for. We're going to keep it going. But second part of my answer involves describing this concept of food habituation. So if you are a longtime listener of the podcast, or if you're familiar with any of the content I share across social platforms, you have heard me describe this before without a doubt, but food habituation is another one of those fancy terms or phrases in intuitive eating work that you hear, but it's just a way to explain the phenomenon of the more that we are exposed to certain foods, especially those foods that used to be quote-unquote off-limits or bad, the more we allow ourselves permission to eat those and to keep those foods around, the less power those foods have over us over time, right? It's this whole concept of increased exposure, decreased intensity of reaction. I always offer an analogy when it comes to this that I think maybe many of us can relate to, especially as we are beginning to see more humans than we did this time last year and we're starting to reconnect with friends and loved ones, right? If you spend a lot of time alone or with your, your pod, if you will, over the past year, then as we start to see more people, as we start to begin to be able to socialize more safely with loved ones, you're probably going through or maybe you have been through a period of time where you wanted to hang out with them like a lot. You wanted to be around them. You wanted to socialize. You wanted to hug them. Oh, I'm such a hugger. I've been hugging so much. It's so fun. But you wanted to hug them and, and make up for lost time. But then maybe after a, a couple of weeks or a month or so of having more social connection and kind of getting back into the groove, maybe you realize, you know, okay, I, I need a little bit more alone time now, or I don't need to be around people 24-7. I know this might not be the case for, for everyone, but for my fellow introverted extroverts or extroverted introverts, you, you know what I mean. You know how I feel. But you see the analogy here is that the more we got to see these people and we realized that, hey, this can hopefully be the new normal. We can hopefully see people more often. Like it's okay to have that balance of time spent socializing. Well, socializing, there we go. And time spent alone. So the same goes with food. When we are letting a once forbidden food back into our life, we are without a doubt going to pass through a period of time where you want to 
eat more of those foods and you're going to crave them more often. And yeah, in the beginning, this is probably going to feel uncomfortable, might feel out of control, especially if you haven't been allowing yourself to eat them for a long time. But with increased permission, with allowing yourself to not run away from those foods or not jump to restricting them tomorrow, we tend to get used to the fact that they're going to be there and their presence becomes normalized. And over time, we realize that there is a spot for quite literally all foods that we enjoy in our life, both the nutrient-dense foods and the fun foods and every food in between. So the third part of my answer, that was a long second part. Hopefully you're still following. The third part of my answer is a reminder. And that reminder is that being an intuitive eater does not mean that you're never going to crave those foods again. Will your cravings be less intense? Sure, likely, yeah. Will, uh, will you feel more in control around those foods when you do choose to enjoy them? Most definitely, but you're just not going to get to a point where you just like never want those fun foods again. I, I've had many clients voice to me almost like a level of, of surprise, right? They came into this work with the preconceived notion that just one day they were just going to wake up and it was just going to click, right? They were never going to crave a donut again, or they're never going to crave a cookie. And um, that's not the case. I've never met anyone who never craves these foods. And, and to be honest, wouldn't it be sad? Wouldn't it be a sad existence if we never wanted any of these fun foods ever again? So I, I want to be clear that again, although your cravings will be less intense and it'll hopefully be more exciting rather than scary when that craving comes up. So, you know, your behaviors will change, but you're never going to reach a point when you never want to eat these foods again, right? Like I said earlier, within the intuitive eating framework, all foods that you enjoy and all food you're not allergic to, right? They fit. And I really do mean all foods, the nutrient-dense ones, the fun ones, like I said a second ago, all foods in between. So that was my three-part answer. Hopefully it resonates and I, I didn't lose anyone. Maybe my analogies are annoying, but maybe they help you connect to some of these concepts on a, on a deeper level. And on that note, my friends, 53 minutes into it, I, I really thought this was going to be more of like a 35-minute episode, but yet here we are. If you made it with me all the way to the end, thank you for being here. Thank you for allowing me to, to talk and, and share this space with you. If you found anything in this episode or anything else that I share on the podcast to be useful or valuable, I would be so appreciative if you could show this episode some love. So if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can tap the five-star rating. You can leave a review if you have a couple of extra moments and you want to share your thoughts. If you're not listening on Apple Podcasts, if you're over on Team Spotify or SoundCloud, you can always spread the love by taking a screenshot of this episode, sharing it on your social media platform of choice, maybe uploading it on a story. Be sure to tag me at Claire Tuning so I can say hey and send you a thank you for listening, but your support means more than you know, and it really helps the show grow. And look at me rhyming as we wrap up today's episode. But thank you so much again for being here, my friend. I'll be back in the future with more Q&A episodes, so keep an eye on my Instagram stories for more opportunities to submit your own questions, to have them answered. But until next Wednesday, until next episode, take care, and we'll talk soon. Yours truly, Claire.